welcome to the second episode of the Well Projects Leadership Exchange podcast. The Well Projects Leadership Exchange is a series connecting thought leaders in the HIV community to explore one another's work, activism, and personal experiences. This series will bring together cis and trans women and others who uplift women's voices across the HIV community in dialogue. On today's episode, the Well Projects Community Advisory Board member, Masanya Trailer, and the Well Projects Board Treasurer and CEO of ETR, Dr. Vignetta Charles, discuss their efforts to help foster leadership amongst others and lift up the voices and experiences of youth. Good morning and good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Masanya Trailer, and I am uh, uh, dialing in, calling in, video <laughs> chatting in from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CAB member for the Well Project and, well, a community advisory board member for the Well Project. I am a mother of two, uh, and I have been living with HIV for 10 years. This year will make 10 years. And I have the beautiful honor and opportunity to interview Ms. Vignetta Charles. And um, she is someone that I definitely did some research on and said, you know what, this lady right here, is who I want to interview. I need to know more information, how, why, and how she can pour into me to add more fuel to my fire. So with that being said, Ms. Vignetta, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Vignetta Charles. My pronouns are she, her. I am uh, many things, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I think one of the um, reasons that um, I am here and also Well Project Board of Directors member has been the, for the past 25 years in various ways. I've been doing uh, um, HIV prevention and research and uh, advocacy and in lots of different uh, disciplines and different uh, institutions, academic, nonprofit, um, direct service and otherwise. Um, and have really had an intersectional approach to that work. Um, and uh, most recently, I'm currently the CEO of ETR, Education Training Research, and we advance health equity through science-based products and services and HIV and intersectional areas are is one of our uh, content areas. And uh, that uh, has led me uh, to lots of things, including uh, meeting you today. So I feel like that's been really wonderful. Um, some of the best work in the world is being able to meet new, amazing uh, humans. So uh, it's a great well, it's an uh, grateful for this opportunity. Likewise, likewise. I just want to uh, mention, like, you know, why I wanted to interview you, like as a Black woman leader, um, having uh, longevity in this work as, um, I guess, maybe shifting into a veteran role in a sense um, for uh, the different, for as many things as, you, as you've been involved in. Um, I wanted to just see and understand uh, why you uh, got involved in this work. And um, a lot of the times there are people who are connected because of a family member passed away or they themselves have HIV, but um, and that it's always un it's always really cool to see how people are rooted in the work. Um, and 
I also noticed that like I got to participate in the conference with ETR and I saw that uh, what role you play in ETR and I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is nice <laughs> to be able to to have that level of influence and um, and access to information and how you get to implement it. Um, and, and I really admire that. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, utilizing some of the, the progressive side of the work that you do uh, here in Atlanta, just here in the South, if I can just share with my, my colleagues and my peers, I'm looking forward to that. So that's why I wanted to interview you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. That's so, so nice. Um, <laughs> uh, what was some of the reasons or did you even have an interest in interviewing me? Yeah, for sure. So the, um, so, uh, you know, I'm on the well project board of directors. And so, um, obviously as a well project board member, you know, we hear about the cab and board meetings and obviously we, um, get to, um, uh, you know, see featured cab members in various places, including like in a girl like me and so, and the blog. And so, um, but I would say one of the reasons I was super excited about this exchange has been that it's really clear from, you know, Googling you also (laughs) that you um, (laughs) just uh, really use all these different tools and approaches to how you approach your HIV activism. And I think that really resonates, right? So for me, I've been able to had the great fortune to be able to be really intentional in using different um, tools, different strategies, different training to um, to really inform myself and my leadership style, um, and uh, and really focus on well-being and resilience, right? As you know, sort of undergirding um, you know sort of health and wellness, um, and so as really saw that uh, in your work, really saw that in some of the um, sort of tools that you're able to apply in developing like health and wellness brand, even right. So you use brand strategy, you're using video editing, you're using you know personal stories for your activism and. Um, and, uh, so that really resonated as something that I've really tried to apply, right? So is, you know, wherever I can learn a thing, I'll learn a thing and I'll apply it. <laughs> um, and so, um, so was really excited. Also was really excited to see you in the networking lounge at, uh, YTH Live at Youth Tech Health Live. And so that was, uh, sort of another spot of intersection, just really knowing that we both really connected to centering youth voices and making sure, um, that uh, there was youth representation in our thoughts and and the and the disciplines and and work, um, even though we neither of us are any are youth any longer <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> so. I'm young-ish, is yeah, what I exactly. tell people because they still say I'm. Yeah, I'm like. No, I'm just young-ish. <laughs> well, I, I, I see. I still embrace young, right? So I was like, I just, I'll just keep on keeping on with the young. And so I yeah. look, I look young, like black don't crack, right? So I was like, I'll keep it. People are like, oh, aren't you thirty? I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Then I am okay. thirty, right? Like, we'll, right. Just stay, we'll stay right there. Right? So I was like, let's do. Do not add the yeah. subsequent decade. I don't know. I guess <laughs> in this in this work though, like as far as just age wise, it's been really interesting because. I'm, I'm always feeling this intergenerational gap and I'm, I'm always feeling like I'm in the middle, like I'm sandwiched in the middle of everybody. So I definitely can understand like, yeah, I'm young-ish, like <laughs> I'm still young, but yeah, I, I, my kid is, my kid is, my oldest is about to graduate high school. So like I'm feeling older 
but youngish. <laughs> right. We can we can be young at heart forever, right? And so yes, that's, that's, how, that's how I'm going to put it. Why has youth been an important focus for you? Like, why young people? Yeah, I think um, I, I think where the preventable work happens for any of our health behaviors, it, those practices and skills start when we're young. <laughs> and then I think the, uh, so I, I think that's just true, right? In terms of how we, uh, how we relate to one another, right? Um, how we uh, relate to food, right? How we relate to sleep, how we relate to wellness, all those practices start when we're young, right? You know, so from kids through youth, and then we really solidify that. Um, and then uh, we also, uh, the focus on youth is because youth stretch and push me in ways that sometimes adults don't, right? You know, so right. um, in times when I will perceive something as filled with barriers, um, I will talk to youth and youth are like, don't see those barriers. And so then I start to see through those barriers um, right. because of um, the inspiration related to even a conversation, Um so I think that that is important. Um, I also think that, you know, I'm 45 and if I'm lucky, I will lead a very long life. Um, and that also means that, uh, that it's not forever. <laughs> so if I'm right. also expecting youth to take charge and take over, right, <laughs> then, um, then I got to be working with youth, right, to um, make sure that there's bi-directional um, understanding of, you know, sort of, you know, obviously I bring some contributions, right, um, and, you know, uh, youth bring their contributions, and so there's an exchange, much like this leadership exchange, and I think that spirit has to be there in order for us to have a uh, you know, really important work um, for uh, any sort of well-being and resilience um, to continue um, and not, uh, you know, sort of go away um, uh, as, you know, as we all get older, right? So let's right. build that so that, that, but that has to mean partnership with youth, right? And so uh, that's why it's always been important to me. And then also, you know, I'm a mom, so it's like, you want to make sure that, you know, I, I would hate it if that someone was somewhere ignoring the voice of my kids right? Like they have a lot right. to say, right? So it's like, so I have to model, right? And, the, and like, and really good things to say, you know? So that's, uh, so I also want to model that behavior in my leadership as well. When I think of the work that I do and who I do it for and why do I do it, how I do it, I think about young people first. Mm -hmm. I think about young people first and the legacy that I want to leave behind sticks with generational change that's where it stands and so overall when it comes to leadership there is no leadership without building up other leaders that's right you know and so that is my overarching goal is to um, pull on learn from listen and apply um, all the things in all the ways that I can, with all the gifts that I have and all the special things that I'll acquire from the beautiful people that I meet along the way to just create a, a change and a shift amongst a generation where they care enough to want to end any aspect of um, HIV and AIDS. Like I really, really think it's possible. And I think that it's going to take a generation of young people who want it to make it happen because that's where it started. 
Yeah. That's where it started. So and I think both yeah. you and I started young as the as in this work as activists and advocates. And so I think that um not youngish now, right? But like started yeah. young, right? So I right. started you know, doing this work and at 16, really feeling like there were injustices at play. And then that work has continued, right, since I was 16. Um and it is uh it's actually unfortunate that some of the same circumstances continue year after year and generation after or generation where we experience and see these injustices or these inequities in terms of what people are um, knowing, even in terms of information, right, that can protect right. themselves um, and their lives. And so um, it, it, will, it will and will continue to be important that we pull as we climb and that we um, ensure that um, the, the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that aren't saying the same things that we are, right? And, right. Um, and right. so, uh, but that also requires listening, right? So I think that that's uh, that's a big part of um, my love of this um, format and this platform and leadership exchange, right? It's, you know, we're listening to each other and we're, you know, uh, we're certainly uh, going to, well, I will certainly take from this uh, some really cool tools, just even from the conversation we've had for an hour, right? You know, so I think that uh, if, we're, if we continue on that path, right, of being authentic and listening to one another and um, ensuring that we're, uh, you know, thinking of uh, of future generations as well as honoring the past <laughs> and like uh, trying to change the present, <laughs> right? Then you know, then we might then we might see some change. What are some things that you've noticed around just um, the shift in focusing on uh, Black communities and HIV and women, like the pockets that are. Uh, missing, you know, uh, when it comes to it over time? Like, what have you, like, noticed or wanted or yearned for when it comes to Black women and HIV? Um, So I think, you know, Black women leadership has been, uh, you know, sort of quietly, uh, you know, sort of making a difference in everything across the world um, since the beginning of, you know, since 1619, frankly, frankly, in America. Um, and so uh, I think that some of the shifts that is happening now um, in terms of more visibility um, and more of a sort of real cultural mandate to listen and center more Black voices um, is that um, that sort of quiet undercover leadership is, is finally like getting some visibility <laughs> <laughs> right, which is you know, which is nice, right? Um, and the the vision that I would hope to have there is the is not to be in sort of traditional forms of what we believe leadership is, right? Which are you know, sort of these um, these structures and hierarchies, and not that hierarchy isn't important and has value, and all, you know, they're all sorts of things. But what really, uh, if if I think of the the hallmarks of what I think of in terms of black women's leadership, in terms of how like we, we pull as we climb, right. We're, we're very much socialized to center other people's voices. Right. You know, and so it comes like naturally, right. Um, the, the, uh, the impact of our decisions, we think about them necessarily in the sense of like community, right. Not necessarily as individuals. And so these are things that both we, that we've been socialized to, you know, be like, 
take and make us strong leaders, right? And I think um, in the past, it's all that stuff has been seen as making us weak, right? And so then we're now having a number of voices come out and say, that's what we need to do, right? Leadership needs to be authentic. Leadership needs to be vulnerable. Leadership needs to be inclusive. And it's like, well, guess who's been authentic and inclusive (laughs) and centering other people's voices since the beginning of time? And that is Black women. And so seeing those ways that um, we've been socialized to lead that we haven't been um, able to think of as leadership um, is uh, um, is promising now. And the vision that I would have for it now is that for that to actually be the prominent paradigm of leadership, right, is, is that and then it's sustained. Um, and, you know, and of course, I am a black woman in America. So my uh, my uh, pessimism and how long it can be sustained <laughs> um, still comes into play. Right. You know, so it's like we you know, that is uh, and I try to pull through that with um, with resilience and hope and um, and uh, and knowing that the ways that I can have an impact um, and model that behavior is important. Um, and then uh, model that my role models, like, you know, like Angela Davis behind me, right, are the <laughs> folks who um, sort of who never faltered in that. And so and uh, and used their voice at all times, even when it was trying very actively to be squashed. And so it's a nice point of inspiration. So what about for you? What's your vision? Um, well, for me, it's just like really having representation. It, it means a lot to me. So that's why I pointed that out. Like your hair, I although my hair is straight now, you let a little heat, a water, I mean, a little water, a little moisture get to it. It's gonna be just like that picture behind you. Um, and not only that, I've had locks before, and it takes um, a certain amount of it takes a certain mindset yes. to uh, be grounded in having locks, and yes. it means more to me than just um, a hairdo or a style. And my daughter, I just started hers. Uh, when you saw her, she just yes. started locks this week. So um, for me, I noticed that I was going to a lot of schools that did not have high rates of newly reported HIV um, infections or cases or diagnosis, whichever verbiage or language we can apply here. And as I noticed that I I was going to a lot of schools that weren't necessarily having like everybody matters of like when it comes to like each and every person got to stay in the the, uh, fight until the last one but where I wanted to make the greater impact where people looked like me lived in my neighborhood had my experiences and I knew how to speak their language so for me it's just those spaces and places where they deserve to have the information need to be touched the most. Yeah. And, and I don't think that they get that the same way. And that's, that's where like I'm grounded because I feel like they missed the mark when it came to me. Yeah. They missed the mark. Wanted to ask you about Pacha um, and the, it's called the presidential advisory Community Council on HIV AIDS. Yes. Um, How was that? Like, why did you want to join it? And um, being under the uh, prestigious Obama administration, (laughs) how was that to um, to participate? And why did you what made you join? Yeah, well, you have to be nominated. So I was honored to be nominated to do that. I think uh, you can self nominate also, I think. But um, the uh, if 
has always been clear to me for advocacy. Um, if you're not, you know, if you're not at a table, then you're not at the table, right? Yeah, <laughs> so right. If you're, not you're not on the menu. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So then it just um, uh, it was another mechanism for uh, holding um, the federal government accountable to um, to uh, what was then um, that that first national HIV AIDS strategy. And so the PACHA has been around since uh, Bill Clinton. So in 1994. Um, but uh, the, under the Obama administration, we had the National HIV AIDS Strategy. And so it was a mechanism to, um, to sort of anchor the work of the, uh, the PACHA, which, uh, whose role is to advise health and human services on you know, prevention, treatment, and you know, eventually cure for HIV, and then you know, sort of common comorbidities. And so uh, I admired the work of Pacha, um, certainly um, was able to be active in uh, work of, about the national HIV AIDS strategy. And so it was an advisory that allowed me to, you know, again, hold uh, government accountable to what was happening um, in centering um, voices that are um, sometimes not in the table. Um, and uh, and I focused, uh, I was the uh, chair of the subcommittee on access to care. And I focus there because I think there's, um, I've done a lot of work in prevention, which is amazing. And I know you have as well, right? And I think that's important. Um, but as we know more and more about treatment as prevention, just ethically to think about all those limitations to access to care when we're like, we know HIV is preventable. And then we know that if you're living with HIV, you can live a long and normal life, right? In all these ways. And we're not doing any, everything in our power to make sure that people don't have access to care and retaining care, right? So it was another way for um, to really make sure that them ethically and morally was able to um, give my voice in that way. Um, I, uh, the, I served in the of Pacha under the Obama administration, and then for uh, near uh, six months under the Trump administration, and um, and really tried to make sure that you know science is rooted um, there um, in under uh, under both administrations, and then the administration switched to the Pacha out certainly, um, but which is both their prerogative and um, and also I think it still is an accountability mechanism, and it still exists now, and it is still a way for folks to identify a Pacha member. It's up on the website and be like, here are my thoughts. <laughs> and uh, and those Pacha members can um, have those thoughts re um, registered on the federal register. So the m people may or may not listen to it, but if if, they, if again if our voices aren't at the table, then they certainly aren't going to listen to it. <laughs> and right. so I, I used to say um, a lot of people um, is more than just having a seat at the table because a lot of people say they don't want to get involved in politics you know however it's like well you know people like to eat sausage but not like to see how sausage is made yes. and so exactly. you need to go have a seat at the table so that you can right. make sure you're on the menu and uh, not just talked about the right. menu you know exactly. so um exactly. it's an important part of advocacy yeah. and it's uncomfortable right and so I think that that is uh that's something that uh, we certainly should make sure that folks 
feel and know. I mean, I've been at a lot of tables my entire life where I'm the only black woman. I'm the I'm, sometimes I'm the only woman, <laughs> right? And that oh. uh, and that continues <laughs> to this day. And so that you know that that's uncomfortable, and you have to push through that, right? And so there are tools that we can give each other, the support that we can give each other to make sure um, that. Uh, that we push through that discomfort to make sure that we're in those rooms um, and uh, and standing confidently in those rooms, like we're, we're there not for token reasons, we're there because um, our voices are important and we need to make sure that the voices of our community are represented. And, um, and I don't represent all Black women, neither do you, but I represent certainly one Black woman and one Black woman who listens to another, a lot of other Black women, <laughs> right? So that is, um, so that is, uh, so that's important. And again, we, we pull as we climb as leaders. And so, um, so that will open doors for other folks. Um, so I was really fortunate on the Pacha to not be the only Black woman at that table. Um, there were, uh, that and so there were a number of us who were able to um, speak uh, speak many truths because we also have lots of intersectional identities as well, right? Um, and I think that was also powerful. <laughs> and so, but I would encourage all activists and advocates to be able to um, uh, push through any discomfort, right? You know, because uh, if there's if we're not there, we're not there. <laughs> and so that's, that's why I say you have to be in be in it until the last one, literally yeah. until the last one. Um, I think it's really interesting. I wonder, uh, when you were on Pacha, did you ever make a trip to Atlanta to discuss the in-house? Yes. I was at that meeting hey, <laughs> and I got funny. to, I got to offer public comment because I, I came in, I was like, did they, I asked around, said, did they talk about women yet? They said, yeah, this person did. I said, did they talk about perinatal transmission? They said, not really. Did they talk about youth? They're like, no, not this time. It was the very last meeting um, for that particular year. And I was like, okay, well, that's what I'll talk about. <laughs> so, right. and again, then, then that's there. And that's been in the passing. Register and the, you know, your commentary is there, right? And so, right, it's yeah. listed mm-hmm. in um, black and white. And I try to t- let other advocates know that um, within their leadership, like it's really important that they at least show up yeah. and then say something thing even yeah. if it's just one thing it's important that they just speak up and let their voice emerge so that whatever is said it can be written because it's a history that we're it's an ongoing history that we are a part of it's a historical yeah. movement and it's it's a work in progress as far as it being literally a movement that yes. is the progression yeah. um i think that's so wonderful i think that's beautiful i i really had um a great time implementing in house, like in my work, as far as like making people aware that it exists, um, uh, creating a certificate program for uh, students at Spelman around HIV 101 using in house and uh, having them do like a before and after test, a pre test, and a post test around in house. And it was like, these were things that I didn't realize were such a huge deal, but it did create a shift. It did create a shift that I got to see on the back end. Like, oh, that's what Pacha was for. (laughs) So it's an honor to know an additional person. With that, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day um, to allow me to interview you and have this um, beautiful exchange um, around leadership. It is something that I've needed. Uh, My heart appreciates it. 
And I'm hoping that what you gifted to me, that I'll be able to share it with my other peers that are um, in leadership roles within their states um, and within the state that I live in as well, because we need it. And I appreciate you for the work that you've done. I appreciate you for your commitment, for your love, for your passion. And I just want to say that I honor you. And if I had flowers, I would give them to you right now because I'm a flower giver. Um, But as a woman living with HIV, um, your work is um, appreciated. And I I love you and I thank you for that. Um, And your work for youth, I appreciate you. Uh, For my children, um, just as a mom, knowing that there's an opportunity for them to not only just get involved, but they also can stand on your why. Mm -hmm. They have a strong foundation to stand on because of the work that you've done. So thank you so much. Thank you. And it's an exchange. So I, you know, you said it way more eloquently. So right. (laughs) Really what right back at you. I mean, I feel like this has been such a gift to me to have this conversation. It is a a gift that we are now in friendship and partnership in this work in a way that we weren't before. Um, and that feels like, you know, such a, such a blessing during this time of, you know, meeting more social connectedness, um, you know, making sure that we're, you know, more and more reaffirming our commitment uh, to this work. And so conversations like this really are reaffirming every day. So thank you for that. Right. And I now would also, with, I would also give you flowers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm hoping what I do hope for, though, because I don't want to just end on that. What I'm hoping is um, as uh, COVID makes its way out, <laughs> that uh, these leadership exchanges will come together um, and allow us to meet up in person and actually have some work that we can do um, and apply from the conversations where you guys can maybe help us strategize um, a little stronger around the work that we do so it can be a, even more intentional. Um, so it's ongoing and, and it has a someplace that we just not just leave and let live um, mm-hmm. in that one spot, but um uh, where we can fertilize it and make it grow as a garden. So um, I really, truly look forward to meeting you in person. This is my first time meeting you per se <laughs> outside of the, the uh, messaging exchange on the conference live. But uh, this was really, really um, soulful. I appreciate this. I'm grateful that uh, they were able to set this up and that you allow me to interview you. Oh, this was you. really dope. Yeah. for listening to the second episode of the Well Projects Leadership Exchange podcast. You can watch and listen to more episodes on our website, www.thewellproject.org backslash exchange. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. And don't forget to share.